Thank you for downloading this special edition podcast of Washington Watch Live with Tony Perkins. You can find out more about Family Research Council and the Washington Watch radio programs when you visit TonyPerkins.com. Now, here's Tony Perkins. On the eve of uh, Purim, the uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned the Congress of yet another plot to kill the Jewish people. Now, Prime Minister Netanyahu gave one of the most, uh, I, I think one of the clearest speeches in regards to a nuclear-armed Iran uh, and what that would mean for Israel and the U.S. Now, I thought the Prime Minister did an amazing job breaking down the threat that a nuclear-armed Iran would mean to Israel. I also believe him when he said if they had to, Israel would go it alone in terms of defending themselves. Joining me now with his reaction to all of today's news is New York Times bestselling author and Middle East expert Joel Rosenberg. And by the way, head over to TonyPerkins.com. You can find out more about how to get his latest book, The Third Target. Uh, Joel, hadn't been that long. We were together last week at uh, NRB, but welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be back in the nation's capital and great to be with you, Tony. All right, let's start, Joel, with the the Prime Minister's speech. What did you think today? You were in the chamber. I was there. What did you think? This was one for the ages. Uh, I I can't remember. Uh, I, I don't go to no, uh, many uh, joint sessions, so let's start with that. It was electric in that room. Uh, I think the prime minister set uh, the right tone. The substance was was very very strong. He was he's, he's warning about a threat that could annihilate uh, the nation of Israel, but would also be a, a, a mortal threat to the Arab states in the region and of course to the United States. But he did it as as a leader. I mean, I, 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 he was bipartisan. He was generous to a president that he is was. trying to Very much overthrow so. him in his own election on March 17th. He was thankful and grateful to the American people. He, he acknowledged this was not a political fight from his perspective. Uh, it, the, the tone was, listen, we are friends, and we are getting to a dangerous moment, and we need to talk about – just how dangerous this is and whether and what's the right way to go forward because the president is staking out one way and the prime minister is saying that is that is the wrong way and 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 let's go this way instead and it's quite a showdown it, it, it shouldn't be partisan it should be a family conversation but the, the president has highly politicized this and i think disrespected our, our best ally in the middle east and but the warmth in that room, even from Democrats, I, I don't want to say even, that's not a fair way to put it, from Democrats. I mean, there were some, Nancy Pelosi was in tears that she hated the speech, but by and large, I was watching, there were standing ovations from the Democrats. There, there it was, was, it there was a was, real yeah. unity there that you don't normally see, as, as you know. Well, Israel is actually one of those issues where you see broad bipartisan support. Yes. Um, there were, I counted, there were 20 standing ovations for the Prime Minister as he spoke. And I've been in other joint sessions of, of Congress uh, for State of the Union addresses, and there was a there was a sense of leadership, a sense of, uh, of purpose and destiny that I've not seen uh, in the times I've been in the chamber. And yes. I, I certainly think there was clarity in, the, mo- in the, the voice of the prime minister and in his message. I think it was, a, quite frankly, I think it was a prophetic message to this nation and to the world that we stand uh, on the eve of yet another possible 
uh, attempt to annihilate the Jewish people. And I thought it was very significant that he made reference to uh, Esther at yes. the beginning of his speech. It's very rare these days that we hear from that podium in the House chamber uh, a defense of the biblical context into which we operate as, right. as, as, as not just Americans, but as Western civilization. And that was the bookmarks of his speech. He began with Esther, he ended with Moses. That, you know, and he pointed out <laughs> that right across from him, he could see you know, this, uh, this uh, uh, plaque uh, with, with Moses' image and, and, and the remembering the role he played in leading the Jewish people out of the danger, the slavery of Egypt. And of course, as you said, uh, the story of Queen Esther and Purim. Which, remember, Queen Esther, the, here, what's the rap, what's, not just the rap, what's the attack line on Prime Minister Netanyahu, among other things, that he's threatening the very relationship between Israel and the United States? Well, remember the, the, what, what uh, Mordecai told his, uh, he treated her as a daughter, even though they were uh, was sort of an older cousin, but he told Esther, listen, I know you think this is going to threaten your relationship with the king of Persia, but... If you don't say anything, God will raise up a, a rescue, a salvation for the Jews from some other place, but you and your father's house will perish. And he, and he basically and he says, how do you know that if it's possible that God has put you in this position for such a time as this? And in a sense, I think the prime minister has made a decision that the president genuinely doesn't understand the magnitude of this threat and is heading in the wrong direction. And that even though it looks like he's risking, the prime minister is risking the relationship between Israel and the United States by coming here and accepting this invitation from the speaker, that, it, that the truth has to be said respectfully but clearly. And I thought he, he, he nailed it today. Now, the question is, you know, will the president listen? He, he literally told everybody that he wasn't listening uh, and, and doesn't think there's anything new in what the prime minister had to say. You know, obviously, I am I am not uh, a, a, a impartial bystander when it comes to the president. I mean, I think the president has been wrong on so many things, and and I I, I really think he comes off looking very childish in this. The prime minister, as you said, very deferential to the president, to the Democratic Party. Uh, to Harry Reid uh, and, and on down the line. I mean, he was he thanked the president. There was a warmth. There was a generosity of spirit. Now, he had to reach to thank the president. I mean, you know, when they had forest fires, the president responded, you know. I mean, the, the, America's relationship has, with Israel has been a lot stronger than what it is today. It has, but there's been a schizophrenic uh, nature of the president's approach yeah. towards Israel. I mean, we, we don't see, for example— uh, President Obama and his team, you know, canceling um, funding for the Iron Dome rocket defense system or canceling Which our I'm military program. Yeah. So it, when people say that the president is anti-Israel, what the president is trying to make the case, look, look what all I'm doing over here. You just happen to disagree with me over here. The president well, but, is saying we're grateful for this, but 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 what you're doing is putting us on a path. Right to legally allowing Iran to build the bomb, and nobody could stop them at that point. Which is what he said in his speech. Instead of blocking Iran's path uh, to acquiring the bomb, we're paving it yeah. with uh, this words. deal. Yeah. 
You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, joined by Joel Rosenberg. We're talking about uh, the Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, was on uh, Capitol Hill this day speaking, uh, this morning, earlier today, uh, speaking to a joint session of Congress, warning America and the world the threat that exists with Iran and the apparent agreement that the United States is working on with Iran, which, as the prime minister pointed out, within 10 years would give them the uh, the ability to acquire the nuclear weapons. It's incredibly dangerous. Um, and, uh, and look, you know, I, I, I've known the prime minister for um, – 15 years. Um, I don't know him well. I've spent time with him. I spent most of my time with his team, uh, not with him. Obviously, he's got a lot going on. But I've had this conversation about the Iranian threat. And I remember I did an interview with him in 2007 for a documentary film we were producing called Epicenter. And I asked him about the nature of this regime and why is he so sure that Iran wants nuclear weapons and might really use them, right? And he, wa- he talked about the apocalyptic nature of the Iranian regime. Uh, I've got a piece on townhall.com right now on this. And I quote from that interview. He talks about th- that when you have leaders in a country like Iran uh, that believe that they're bringing about the end of days, they're, that they're hastening, they're accelerating the coming of their Messiah by committing genocide, you can't put atomic weapons in the hands right. of ayatollahs who believe that their job is to bring about the end of the world. And and this is what informs Netanyahu. He, he has no illusions that this this is sort of a normal regime that just, you know, would like to have the possibility someday of, of having some weapons just in case. No, this is a regime that's hell-bent, literally, on so, bringing about the end of the world. So why does he get that? Why does he understand that and, and our president either doesn't get it or refuses to acknowledge it? Well, I think Prime Minister Netanyahu <clears> – <throat> You know, lives in a different neighborhood. He grew up in a different uh, uh, culture. He he was a uh, you know a special forces operative against radical Islam. His brother was killed as a special forces hero rescuing Israeli Jews from radical Islam. He spent his whole life studying it, and uh, the president didn't. I mean, it's part of the challenge of when you elect a president. Uh, one challenge, of course, is what is the president? What is a president's ideology? What is their worldview? But also, what's their experience? Do they come with an understanding of the threats that we face, or are they pretty much trying to figure it out on on the fly? And I, I as you know, we've talked about it in the past privately. I don't know if we've said it on the air, but but the the White House is not the, the presidency is not an entry level position. No uh, and time this for has on been the a problem. Training. No, and and and, and so. Uh, the president seems uniquely blind to this. I mean, you know, take it for well, example, I, Senator well, Bob Menendez, uh, 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 one of the top Democrats, it, it, you know, from New Jersey. He said at the APAC conference yesterday that he thinks the president is just wrong on this Iran policy and is willing to to say so uh, because they, he thinks that the president just doesn't understand. But go back how dangerous to this go, is. go back to the you just you meant you gave out the the prime minister's background. Look at the president's background as a as a community organizer. I mean, it it does. Yes. However, what what the president here's what I think the president right, we, is we're, doing. We're up okay. against a break. Well, very so. quickly, I think the president because he was raised in a Muslim culture, he I think he believes he understands Islam better than all of us. Unfortunately. 
he just, he just doesn't. And I think after six years, that's not but clear. But also how he approaches problems right. is reflective in that background. And we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Uh, still to come, more with Joel Rosenberg, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, and Congressman Louis Gohmert. Both join us to talk more about the Prime Minister's speech. And today, the House approved funding for the Department of Homeland Security with the president's illegal immigration provisions in place. That's coming up here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and I'll be here when we get back. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Thanks so much for being with us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, my guest, uh, we're talking about uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was on uh, Capitol Hill this morning speaking at a joint session of Congress. Joel and myself were there, and a very, very fascinating uh, speech, Uh, leadership on display there. And, and Joel, there was a sense of, of history being made as the Prime Minister laid out very clearly the threat not only to Israel, but to the peace of the Middle East and to the peace of the world. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's important to point out is that a lot of our Arab allies uh, in the Middle East, that they are saying privately what we just heard Prime Minister Netanyahu say publicly. And, he's, of course, the prime minister is taking an awful lot of heat from the administration. I mean, the administration has nearly declared political war. Not nearly. They have declared political war on the prime minister. They're, they've sent political operatives to Israel to unseat him uh, in, in a couple of weeks. But the Jordanians, the Egyptians, the Saudis, the Emirates, most of them except Qatar, they're saying privately – we cannot have Iran building nuclear weapons and ICBMs. And, and they are pleading with the P5 plus one and the administration in particular, don't go down this road. They're terrified. Now, the silver lining in a, in a way that I'm not sure if I'd written a novel, somebody would have believed me, is it, this is actually unifying Israel, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, right. the Saudis, and the Emirates. Uh, they are banding together, not because all of them agree on all the issues. They don't. But they feel alone. They feel increasingly cut loose by the White House. And they see that this is not theory. This is, Iran is being given an international green light, if this deal goes through, uh, to – to build the bomb in due time when it when they choose. I was I was at the APAC meetings. I, I had some uh, very interesting meetings. Some were on the record. Some were off the record with high-ranking uh, uh, both U.S. and Israeli people, formers, all formers. But one of the things I learned was Iran currently has enough enriched uranium to build six or seven nuclear weapons. And it would only take a few months, up to three months, from the moment they decide to build them to having operational nuclear weapons. Now, that's not to say that they'll make that decision tomorrow, but if they're continued to be allowed to produce more and more enriched uranium, six or seven will go up to 10, to 15, to 20, to 50, to 100. In 10 years, if nothing else happens, they will have a massive stockpile to build a massive arsenal of nuclear warheads. And by that point, their ballistic missile systems will definitely be able to reach the United States. And so um, is this the world that, that the president 
mm-hmm. want to leave behind. I think the big question now is what do Democrats do? I think the Republicans are solidly behind Netanyahu's analysis. Uh, we'll see about the presidential candidates, but you know. Um, but I think I guess I'm going to work on the operating assumption uh, that, except perhaps for Rand Paul, who seems to not understand these issues at all, uh, the rest of them probably will be on board with Netanyahu. The question becomes, uh, you know, what happens? Uh, what is what influenced the Senator Bob Menendez and and former Senator Joe Lieberman and who these folks it? have sitting and right in there. front of me, sitting f- right in front of me next to John Hagee. In fact, you know, it, it just reminded me, Joel. That's a unifying. Moment. Well, I mean, it, it, it really did. When I when I looked in there, and you made reference to this earlier about the Prime Minister opening his remarks. Old Testament reference to Esther, closing with an Old Testament reference uh, to uh, Moses and the uh, instructions that Moses gave to Joshua when he handed over uh, control. There was, I think, for me personally, it was the thing that just struck me was what was on display today was the Judeo-Christian foundation of our nation and a foreign leader of Israel coming to remind us of that heritage. Yeah, and it's striking, right? I mean, we... We have a prime minister who who is reminding us of our values, and I think was appealing. It's interesting, you know. The president's main, uh, you know, soundbite this afternoon was there was nothing new in that speech. I didn't listen to it, but there was nothing new. What's <laughs> What's interesting is that the, the it's it's true in a sense that the, the Netanyahu did not come with a new argument. What he did was, I think, made a closing argument. He pulled together in one place with very clear, very lucid thinking just how dangerous this is. He didn't seem hyperbolic. He, he didn't introduce new uh, data. He right. didn't give us new intelligence. But he did draw the strands together in a way to say, this is the logical extension of making this deal with this particular group of terrorist leaders, apocalyptic leaders. Again, he didn't introduce apocalyptic Islam, though we, he and I have talked about that. He just stuck with militant Islam, a terrorist state, they lied and cheated. Why do we believe that they would keep this deal? But even if they did keep the deal, this deal puts them on the road to the bomb. Yeah. It was either way, he's saying, Netanyahu's saying, this is a mortal threat. You, either direction, break, you know, uh, abandon the deal or keep the deal, it both puts them on the road to the bomb. Well, Joel, I think w- when you look at what he had to say, uh, as you say, nothing really new that he interjected into the, the, the conversation. But y- you know how uh, everybody's busy today. Congress, extremely busy. And I just tell you, in my you know, daily operations working with Congress, is that to get their attention, mm-hmm. it takes something like this. So what, what today right. was about was this funnel of bringing the attention of Congress down to this pinpoint clarity of this global threat that Iran poses, you know, it's not just to Israel. He made the point that, look, our people, we've been here before, and we're not going back. <laughs> right. And we're going to stand and defend ourselves. Like we, yeah. have, we have the ability today as a nation to defend ourselves and make no mistake about it, we will. And he said, you know, we uh, – I, I thought it was – this was the multifaceted warning, I thought. He, he warned America – and the world that Iran is a threat. Agree? Uh, absolutely. And then I think he warned the United States that if need be, we will defend ourselves no matter what. 
I think it wasn't a warning. I mean, I would just quibble just slightly, but only to say I think it was just a reminder that we we don't want to go into this alone. We see the U.S.-Israel relationship as so important. But I just need to say to you that we're not going to take this lying down. But here, let me let me read his quote. It says, but I can guarantee you this. The days when the Jewish people remain passive in the face of genocidal enemies, those days are over. We are no longer scattered among the nations, powerless to defend ourselves. We've restored our sovereignty in our ancient home, and the soldiers who defend our home have boundless courage. For the first time in a hundred generations, we, the Jewish people, can defend ourselves. That is why. That is why, as a prime minister of Israel, I can promise you one thing. Even if Israel has to stand alone, Israel will stand. And, Tony, I believe that's uh, – you mentioned that it was a prophetic speech. I think that was prophetic. I believe the scriptures indicate that it, there's a point coming where Israel will be alone. Now, the prime minister said immediately following that, yeah. but we are not alone. We have yeah. the United States. But he did – it was a very interesting way to construct the, the, yes. the, the sentence because, or the, the paragraph – because what he's saying is, if we ha- if we are alone, we'll be alone. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We will we will do it. We aren't going down uh, with the ship, and we're not going to put our security in the hands of other people, uh, our fate in the hands of other people. Now, I say this as somebody who's now both an American citizen praying for the president of the United States and an Israeli citizen uh, praying for the, my prime minister. Um, I want these men to, to 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 find common ground. I'm praying for healing in this relationship. But you know what? In the end, Israel will never be alone. Uh, even if they feel alone, even if the world abandons them, why does God allow the nations to abandon Israel in the scriptures? Eventually, it's so that it's just Israel and God, and that we, as a people, discover we'll never be alone as long as we will lean on the everlasting arms. And I think that's the reason. I mean, the smallest little country out there in this sea of hostility, and if they are alone, as you pointed out, alone but yet not alone, right. because God right. is uh, is with them and that will show himself mighty to save uh, this nation that he has established. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, joined by uh, Joel Rosenberg. Uh, still to come, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise will be joining us to talk about where Congress may head from here, given the speech uh, by the Prime Minister today, and then also uh, our good friend Congressman Louis Gomert will be joining us in just uh, a little bit as well. Uh, Joel, I want to go back to something you brought uh, just a minute ago, and uh, um, Steve's going to be joining us here in just a minute, but I, before you go, I wanted to go back to something you said, where do the Democrats go from here? I mean, there was such clarity, and as I talked about earlier, bringing the Congress to focus on this threat, they heard it, they heard it with clarity, they heard it with precision. Where do they go now? One big question, uh, I don't know, uh, but I hope that, um, that there's, enough, there's, there's enough voices in the House and the Senate among uh, Democrats who, who have always seen themselves as pro-Israel. They pride themselves in being pro-Israel. They see this case. They don't want to break with the president, but they also don't want to endanger uh, an ally. And what's more... While the president will never face the voters again, they will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, polls show that the support for Netanyahu is rising. More than 60% of the country wanted the prime minister to speak, even though they didn't like the process that it got to there. So I think there'll be a lot of political pressure, as well as moral pressure, on these uh, uh, Democrats to have an honest conversation with the president and say, 
you know what, uh, you know, we respect you, but we, but we agree with the prime minister or, or, or some construction. Elie Wiesel, an Auschwitz survivor, yeah. uh, a Nobel Peace uh, uh, laureate, st- sitting there in the chamber and being honored by the prime minister. It was just, it was a touching moment. I, I, I was the most emotional at that moment. But I'll say one other thing. Where does Secretary Clinton come out on this? She has been, you know, there's been radio silence from uh, Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and she could, she could be a game changer. She could come in and say, uh, "We need." To, uh, I agree with the prime minister's analysis. This is a bad deal. That would be a stunning moment. It would certainly uh, uh, reshuffle the deck uh, in, in terms of her di- completely distancing herself from uh, this president. And she has, she has some standing. But uh, she's been remarkably quiet. And it'll be interesting to see her comment. Any downside for the prime minister uh, from this speech? None. He may not be, be the prime minister in a few weeks in Israel. He's facing a very close election, and he could lose. Um, but you know, as I, I've been saying privately to my friends who are, who are his, you know, his, his senior team, uh, and I didn't have to say it. I'm just encouraging them. Listen, you know, you guys know this. Uh, who knows that you've been put in that office for such a time as this? You know, the Bible does not tell us that we're going to be able to persuade everybody that we tell the truth to. But if we say it in love, we say it firm and clear, that's our job. And, and you know you run a conference called Watchmen on the Wall. Uh, as I said at the NRB uh, speech, uh, we are watchmen on the wall, in little Ws. <laughs> we're, and, and when we see a threat coming, we must speak out and warn people. It doesn't mean everyone will listen. But we will be held to account if we don't speak out. And the prime minister did it. And I think if he loses the election and, his, and, he, and he loses power, this will be, I think, very sad. Uh, but God will still be sovereign, and he will have done his job uh, to warn our Israel's best friend and ally um, the stakes. But I hope, of course, I mean, me personally, I hope that he stays around. I think he's showing the kind of leadership that Israel needs. But again, um, you, I, God you removes know, kings and he, res- and he uh, establishes kings. It, it just, it's just um, a little it, – it's hard for me to, to get my hands around the idea that where Israel stands right now and the, I think the phenomenal job that he has done in, in leading Israel through these – continuously challenging times, keeping the country safe, why there's uh, discontent. It just, it's, uh, it, it's hard for me to, to comprehend. There are moments in life that are, you know, they just don't make sense. Uh, Israel's facing grave dangers, but, um, you know, all politics is local. He went global, but on the other hand, in the end, people will be making decisions on March 17th. If, if the prime minister wins again and it's a parliamentary system so it's not quite the same thing but if his party is given the 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 right to build a new coalition Mm -hmm. it will be because people look at speeches like this and they look at the prime minister and think i disagree with him on this this that but he will keep us safe yeah and that's sort of that's what he's running on but he's also but even if he loses he, he he's using his last moments uh to to warn the world of a mortal threat Joel Rosenberg, as always, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you, Tony. Thank you. All right. To find out more about Joel and his uh, new book, The Third Target, go over to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. 
To find out more about this topic or the many other resources available from Family Research Council, visit us at TonyPerkins.com. Music